You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. When I was afraid, your grace assured me. Just warming waters into profound 
Kensington, Craig McGlasson here. I am the lead pastor at our Orient campus and a couple of events that I just want to let you know about that we've got coming up, one of which is a do not miss event if you've got young kids. It is one of our faith and family events and the focus on this one is going to be specifically on media and digital health. It's going to be led by expert Chris McKenna from the organization Protect Young Eyes. And it's going to be an entire evening trying to teach both the tools and the power as well as the dangers of all that faces our kids with technology. So this faith and family event is going to be on September 28th at 6 p.m. at our Troy campus. Dinner is going to be included and child care if you need it for a small $10 fee. So you can register online at kensingtonchurch.org slash faith and family. So I told you we have a couple of events to let you know about, and another one that's coming up is for our men. So I'm going to kick it over to my friend Justin, who can tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah, so hey, fellas, Man Camp is happening October 7th through 9th. It is our men's retreat for all of Kensington to gather together at a place called Spring Hill Camp, which is this incredible campground, has zip lining activities. We do football, tons of food. We have worship, and we have some incredible teachers. We have Craig Mays, uh, we have John Pomeroy, and we also, awesome. we're going to sacrifice by having Craig McGlasson with us. They couldn't get anybody better. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I want to tell you, it is an incredible experience to get away. And I know this past season has felt busy at times, felt stressful, felt exhausting. And we believe that this weekend away will prepare us men uh, for the days ahead and really speak to our hearts. Now, I know you're passionate about it, especially because you're speaking, but also just passionate about this for men. Why should they come? Why should they invite their friends to be there? I think the things that have done the most formation in my life life have been other men that have invested into my life, which is also why I think one of the greatest temptations in our society for men is to isolate and to just take life on on their own. And yet that's the exact opposite of what we see in the life of Jesus as he lived his life in community with men and women, but early on surrounded himself with his 12 disciples that just showed for us, I think, a really powerful example of how important it is for us to have other men in our life pushing us towards Jesus. I couldn't agree more because I we've seen that mm-hmm. in stories of men who have gone. So if you've been to man camp, invite somebody to join you because you know the power of it. If you yeah. haven't been, Take this opportunity and sign up. Kensingtonchurch.org backslash mancamp, October 7th through 9th. Don't miss it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kensington. Welcome to you, though. Those of you joining us in person and those of you joining us online, um, we're so happy that you've made it out today for service. Um, If you put on a jacket this morning and you're feeling the fall feels, you are right there with me. I get so excited about the fall season and winter coming. I know it's kind of like everyone lives for summer, but I live for winter. Um, So I would love to know what are some of the things you guys are excited about now that fall is coming. Just yell some things out. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Cider mill. Football. Yeah. Um, apparently, you guys have never been back in K-Kids because you know when you're asked a question at church, the answer always has to do something with Jesus, right? So you all flunked. Uh, the answer is retreats and groups forming at church. So I know a lot of you have jumped into the small groups here, the larger groups that meet throughout the week and groups that meet in homes. And so something that they highlighted in the video as well is we have retreats coming up. So man camp being the, one of the first ones coming 
Um, they kind of touched a lot of that, about that in the video, so you guys heard all about that. We also have another one called Wild, and that is for middle school and high school students, and they will go away for the weekend, and I have been, and let me tell you, the name definitely carries what the weekend is all about. It's insane. They just, they do, they do teachings and worship, and there's things about Jesus, but the rest of the time is it wild. Um, so if you have a high school student or a middle school student, or you are one of those, you're going to want to go to the lobby. The middle or the student ministry team kind of hang out in that general area. You can go ask them questions, get signed up, things like that. Another retreat we have is called Rise, and that is for people the ages 18 to 29, kind of a young adult retreat. It's just good to get away with like-minded people in your age bracket. And again, they'll do teachings and worship. You'll get to meet people in um, kind of the same season of life as you are. And so women don't feel left out. I'm sure there, there's something brewing in there, which is nothing solidified yet. <laughs> uh, something else that we typically do in the fall season is we partner with an organization called McCrest. And that is Macomb County Rotating Emergency emergency shelter team and they help people in crisis and typically they're experiencing homelessness and they are needing somewhere to stay so we take this building and we turn it into a place that feels like home and something really exciting that happening with McCrest is that they have a permanent facility now that women and children will be staying in in Mount Clements. So we will just be housing the men here, but we'll still be doing a lot of things to help the women, providing meals, resources, things like that. So it takes our church about 200 people to be able to pull off that week to just make sure that all of the needs are met, all of the meals are made, and um, a bunch of different things. So you can, there's a board out in the lobby that has these little white strips, and you can kind of see what that response responsibility entails and, you know, read those out. And it's just a cool way to serve in a different way that you don't typically get to do through throughout the week or here at church. Um, so we hope that you check that out. We need lots of people. So it's something you can do as a family, as a small group, whatever you guys do, let's try and get those needs filled. Uh, well, we are in the last week of the series called Questions. And today's question is, why are you so afraid? And so I'm sure some of you, when you hear that, you just automatically get a little anxious. You're like, I don't want to talk about what I'm afraid of. Well, that's what we're going to do today. I'm sure Adam will bring lots of um, peace that comes along with that. Um, but before we do that, why don't you stand up, say hi to those around you, and then we'll get started. Welcome to Kensington Clinton Township campus. Today we're asking people, what are they afraid of? Nothing. Oh wait, no, drowning in my car. I'm afraid of camp doing something ridiculous. I'm afraid of that too. <laughs> I gotta say like big spiders. Big spiders? I said I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of snakes, but palmetto bugs. Palmetto bugs. Palmetto bugs will attack you. Roaches. Roaches? Big ones in the south are called palmetto bugs. They fly. I you're not the first person to say this. Oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of, of lizards. People throwing cameras in my face. Yeah. Well, as my son Christian will attest to, I'm afraid of spiders. Uh, junior high students. Snakes. Snakes. Infants. Infants. Not a fan. What? Yeah. You have it. The dark. The dark? Yeah, the dark. Okay, cool. I love the dark. You love the dark? Yeah. 
Okay, Batman. I'm, I'm honestly like a little afraid of myself. I, I'm afraid I'm gonna like screw up so bad that I'll, I'll like deeply wound people. I think it's like my, yeah. my greatest fear. I also have social anxiety, so this right now oh, cool. so is we're, very <laughs> we're, we're making this a very real experience for you yes. on all levels. Uh, the future. Clowns. Clowns. Um, spiders. They're... Ones with like the long legs that jump at you. Not providing for these kids. Oh yeah, that's a that's a heavy one. My husband dying. Okay. I'm not afraid of nothing. Losing the rest of my hair. Losing the rest. Getting old. At my age, not much. Not much. <laughs> no. That's good. Microphones, cameras, and survey questions. Um, ho oh, hot air balloons. Hot air balloons. I'll never go on a hot air balloon in my life. Being buried alive. Tarantulas? Tarantulas. The future. Um, leaving the ground. Heights, airplanes, okay. roller coasters. Being really high up high there. High up in the air. And then, and then what are you afraid of? Everything. Everything, <laughs> Everything right now. Probably, for, from my perspective, uh, spiders and snakes. Spiders and snakes. Afraid of hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Whatever it is you're afraid of, if you say it in a British accent, it just sounds better, right? Hot air balloons, right? You can say that, and it just sounds so much better, right? Or, or maybe you're kind of in that bend, I'm not afraid of nothing, right? And that, that was Dean, for those of you who don't know, that's Sonia Maletta's husband, and that's, I'm not afraid of nothing, right? And some of us feel that, but I think truly on some level, all of us are a little bit afraid of something, and sometimes it's pretty inconsequential, it's like snakes or spiders, or, you know, maybe you're afraid of alligators and elephants, it's like, bro, you live in, you know, Michigan, I, I feel like you're safe, stay away from the zoo if that's the only thing that you're worried about. Or did, did any of you recognize my wife in that video? Some of you did, some of you don't know her, but you, you notice there's something in here. And sometimes we get a little bit scared. You're like, wait, wait, is she pregnant? Should, should I ask? And you're, ooh, I don't know if I want it. Well, just so you know, she is pregnant, right? So we have, yeah. <laughs> Baby number six on the way. They're all on purpose, but there's going to be a sign-up geni genius for everybody to get involved because we're going to need help, right? But, th but those are some of the things that are a little bit funny. Actually, last week even something happened to here because some of you, you know, I, I public speak. That's one of the things I do. And sometimes we get fearful of the act of it, but then something like this happens. You throw this picture up. So this was me last week, and you're probably like, man, why is Adam showing a picture of himself? That's so vain. Well, it's, it's going to come full circle. It's not vain, but you know, I, I wore my white shoes, and I had my black pants and shirt on that my wife helped me pick out my outfit the night before. But then what happens is you bring somebody else in to speak, and they're almost a decade younger than you. They're better looking. They're taller. They've got less gray hair, and they just happen to wear something very similar to you. Could you throw the next one up? Yeah, same outfit, right? So there's this new fear I have. So whenever I bring Drew Daniels in to teach, I'm going to call him, especially if I'm on stage doing the announcement bit, and make sure that we are not wearing the exact same outfit because that just makes us a little bit more intimidating. And that's funny. And all of us have things that are funny. I appreciate all those giggles. Good looking out, guys. But what about when the thing that we're afraid of isn't quite so funny? What about when it's a bit more consequential? What about when it's not quite so trivial like... Somebody's on their way to the emergency room, and it could have a pretty significant impact on our life, what happens as a result of when they get there, right? Or maybe, maybe you're at work, and you're at job, and someday you get a notice or a letter, and, and that thing that you've been doing for 10, 20, 30 years, or maybe only six months, but it's been providing your, for your family, is now up in the air. 
That job's not quite as secure as it used to be, or maybe it's altogether gone, and fear seems to be a pretty appropriate response in that point. And I would say that I'd have to agree with that. Or maybe you've gone to the doctor, and they took a blood sample or a biopsy, and now you wait. And you wait for day, weeks, whatever it is, for the doctor to call you back and let you know if something's happening, or maybe it's happening to a loved one, and the, the results of that test could have a pretty dramatic, deep impact on our lives. Like all of our kids just went back to school and this is something that just popped up in my mind. You know, we're always a little bit hesitant when our kids go back to school, especially my kids. This is the first time they've been in this community. They don't know anybody. They don't have any friends. They haven't been in public school for a while because we've been nomadic for the past couple of years. So rather than putting them in school and taking them out, we just homeschooled them and they were in the safety and environment of a mom and a dad who loved them. But that's gone. And so we went to school. The first week went pretty okay. One little hiccup, but nothing monumental. And then you come to find out your five-year-old who's going to school for the first week is having trouble with friends. And it comes to find out that's because there's somebody that comes into school every day and tells my daughter that she hates her. What do you do with that? You know, she's running around chasing her big sister on recess because you see somebody who's safe. But I'm sure any of you have multiple girls. Could you think of a dynamic where little sister's chasing big sister on recess and their friends and the difference? And I'm sure that just pans out well every single time, right? But what do we do? What do we do in these moments? Because the things that I am fearful for of, I'm sure, every single one of us, we could go around the room and we would have something in our lives that's pretty significant. It's not a light thing. It's not inconsequential. And there are serious ramifications for what is going to happen in our life based on what we are able to do or how this situation plays out. So, you know, we're in this series where we're talking about questions Jesus asked. And we know what the Bible communicates. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we hear that. And we're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I know, I know Jesus says this question. And you say to me, pastor, or you say, Adam, wh why am I so afraid? Are you tone deaf? Like, have you looked around our society and the things that are happening maybe in our local community, in our personal life, or our world, and you have the audacity to ask me a question, why are you so afraid? Well, it's because I'm not an idiot, right? And that's how we feel. And I want to start by acknowledging that's okay, because this is something else that happened. A lot of you have experience in church with pastors, with other people who claim to follow Jesus and genuinely do, but on this topic, they have said things that have damaged us. They have said things that hurt us, that have made us feel like our fears aren't real. And if we just trusted Jesus a little bit more, everything would go away. And there's a little bit of truth to what they say. But sometimes we don't take into account the full range of what it means, how we experience fear in our life. If you even think about it in the Bible, the fact that they give the, the, the charge to not be afraid indicates that in our lives, things will happen that are going to make us fearful. So I want to talk about what today is not going to be for just a quick section. You know, today is not going to be the day where we say, hey, fear isn't real. Because we all know that that's a ludicrous statement. It's not going to be this, your faith is weak, and if you just had better faith, you know, if you were a better Christian, if you were a better follower of Jesus, you wouldn't struggle with that because that's not helpful and it's not practically true. I don't think it's at all what Jesus lays out in his word either. And the third thing is, this is not going to be one of those days where if you just trust Jesus in this moment and you say a prayer and you name it and claim it for the rest of your life, you're never going to struggle with fear. Because I don't think that's what Jesus lays out for us in any way. But all of this idea, all of this thing does lead to the dynamic that every single one of us are going to go through moments in our life where it is fearful. But maybe the question we should ask outside of it is this. How can we live life in such a way when fear comes for us, because it will, that we can navigate it a little better? 
Because it does, right? It's almost like it, it gets around our throat. And you can hear my voice change as I squeeze a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter. And that just practically gives us a really good example for what happens inside of us in these moments. But there's a reality that I believe is true because I've experienced it in my life and I've seen it communicated in God's word. Is there always a way where fear will come at us and it just doesn't have that same strangling effect it used to? What if there's a way to navigate life a little bit differently? What if there's actually a way and a process that if we did this, if we took it, these situations, these really hard circumstances were to come on us and they maybe didn't have such a grasp on us as they used to? Because I believe there is. And today we're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to look at an account where Jesus interacts with his disciples where they are incredibly fearful. They are scared. They are timid about the situation that's happening. And then something happens in their lives where they actually move outside of this dynamic and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about that today but before we do we're going to receive our offering and even before that I want to take a moment and pray so would you just bow your heads with me as we talk about this Lord I mean people say that the greatest most numeric charge in the Bible is to be not afraid and I think that's true and I think it's true because there are real legitimate reasons in life so I just want to start by saying if anybody in this room has felt a Christian or a pastor or somebody like that has made them feel insignificant or like they have tiny faith because of their fear I am so sorry because I don't believe that's what you want I don't think that's what you want for any one of us and my hope today is we'll understand a little bit more of this topic from your perspective and we'll walk out of here ready to go on a little bit more of a journey with you because I believe if we do, this could change how we impact and it goes about our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we're gonna receive our offering and the ushers can go ahead and start. And first, let me say, hey, if you're a guest or this is your first, second, third week, we don't want you to feel any obligation that you need to put money into the pouch. We are so thankful that you are here with us. If you would like to give us a gift, just wanna thank you for your generosity. And you guys know the, the ways that we can do this online. But I also want to say this. You will hear me say on so many weeks, it's not possible for us to do any of this without you. And it's so true. We've got a lot of things happening in church because it's the fall. We have groups that are restarting. You heard um, us ta Emily talk about the McCrest Mobile Care Unit. And the only reason we are able to press into these things is because of how you serve and how you give. You know, there's a bunch of people that actually don't have the simple things in life that we take for granted. So we've partnered with an organization in order to help them have a warm place to stay in a time of the year where they don't have that. We're going to feed them meals. We're going to care for them. And when I say we, I mean everybody here at Kensington because it's not possible for our staff to take on something that represents a couple of hundred people needing to help. And the only reason any of that happens is because of you. And the reason we think that's incredibly important is because when we meet a practical need of somebody so basic as a warm place to stay, it then gives us the opportunity to press into their life and tell them the message of Jesus. And the only reason any of that occurs is because of those of you who faithfully give and serve or in a part of this place. So I just want to say thank you for what it is you do because really, truly, none of this is possible without any of you. All right, so let's get back here to the topic that we're talking about today. Why are we so fearful? Um, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 if you want to turn there and get ahead of yourself. If not, it'll be on the screen. But we're going to look at a moment where Jesus' 12 disciples, right? The guys who are responsible and the, the females for the establishment of the church, which we are now a part of, where they were and where they got to because they were incredibly fearful in their life. And in this moment, we're going to look at an interaction they had with Jesus where they're timid, they're scared, 
scared when he is right inside of their presence or he's right in their presence. And to do that, we're going to open by reading Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 and 25. And this is what happens. It says, and when he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was swamped by the waves, but Jesus fell asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us because we are perishing. Okay, so d- disciples have been teaching with Jesus. Jesus has actually just been sharing what the cost of being a disciple, not like the financial cost, but what it will involve in your life, in these people's life, if they follow Jesus. And then he wants to go to another place to teach, but the Sea of Galilee is right in front of them. And Galilee is like 13 miles long by 8 miles wide, and it was pretty normal for there to be some pretty gnarly storms that would come up on this water. And as they get in the boat, Jesus Jesus is incredibly tired. He's incredibly exhausted because he's just been pressing into people. He's been teaching and he has spent, April, my wife sat over here in the first service. I said, hey babe, just to give these people a little reaction, what is the first thing I typically do on a Sunday after I get home? Which is normally eat and then I take a nap. (laughs) Because you just get spent sometimes when you do this thing and that's where Jesus was. But he'd been doing it all day. Not for a morning, but probably for weeks at a time. And he is physically and emotionally exhausted. Because yes, he is God. But when he came down to earth, he took on every single thing that all of us feel. And in this moment, he is tired. So he gets in this boat, which is more like a skiff. And he cuddles up and he finds himself in a position where he is asleep. But then this storm comes. And we get a little bit of insight about this storm from Jesus' disciples. They're so scared they want to wake him up. Now, four of Jesus' disciples in their previous occupation was fishermen. So this wasn't some inconsequential, insignificant event happening. They were timid. They were scared. And Jesus was not a trained salesperson. Salesperson was not correct, but I think you all knew what I meant, right? Like Jesus was a stonemason or a carpenter, most likely by trade. So the fact that they're waking him up was not because he had some great idea or thought that he could do to calm what it was. You see, they'd been with Jesus and they don't have a full understanding of all the dynamics that he had pressed into, but they understood he could do something in this moment that if they went to Jesus there was something he could help them with you see the disciples did not know what Jesus would do but they knew he could do something and in some capacity we all understand this like when we get into trouble what's one of the auto Christian-y type responses what do we do pray very good yeah and it's actually funny even people that don't believe in Jesus go to this thing called prayer Tim Keller is kind of a thought leader in the Christian movement today. And he uh, was citing some things and there's a set of statistics that said even 30% of atheists agree that they pray on a somewhat, not regular, but at least frequently on some basis because we all know that there's something greater inside of us. God talks about in his word that he has put eternity on our hearts and inside of it, we know that there's more in the here and now and we reach out for that person, that entity that can do something and that's where the disciples are in this moment. They're reaching out because their situation is pretty drastic and then we get to see how Jesus responds in verses 26 and 27. He says this, Jesus looks to them and says, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. He rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, I want to start with this thought because I think a lot of us because of our church experience don't receive those set of verses in the calm demeanor that I just read them. You've heard a Christian friend or a pastor talk about your faith and the size of it and it wasn't in a positive light. 
We said, if you only had more faith in Jesus, if you only had more faith in God in this moment, in this situation you find yourself in, you would be better. And we actually even think in this moment, because of what somebody has said, that when Jesus sees the disciples, he's pretty angry. Now, I don't believe Jesus was angry or frustrated. I think he, he might have been a little annoyed for the same reason that you and I would have been. He was just jamming down on a great nap, and now he's woken up. But we don't think that. We think he was angry and he belittled the disciples. You insignificant, weak people. Where was your faith? Like, I was right here. You know I was here. You know God's in control. Why would you act this way? And we believe that that's how Jesus responded to us. And I think in those statements, there is some of it that's true. I think from this moment, Jesus wants to teach us what he thinks about us by how he interacted with the disciples. But I don't think it was harsh. I don't think it was mean. I don't think he belittled anybody. I think when he woke up again, a little annoyed that his nap had been interrupted, but he pretty quickly saw the fear and the anxiety on his followers' face. So he used it as a moment to teach them not just about something, but about how God responds to us in situations that are pretty difficult. And his posture was one of gentleness and kindness. He looked at him. He's like, guys, why are you so afraid? Like, I was here the whole time. I've got your back. There, nothing can happen to us that my father doesn't see, that he can't remediate, that he can't care of. Because here's a truth in this too. Like, God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. We see that very clearly in Ephesians 2.10. And there was a plan for Jesus' time here as well as the 12 disciples. And there was nothing that could happen, be it a storm or the enemy, that would come at them and change that life, change that, that would impact it in such a way that he wouldn't be able to do. And one of the reasons, one of the purposes Jesus came was to, again, in this moment, he calms the storm and he shows them his power and that he is God, but he also wants to use this as an opportunity to teach them. And he was not angry at his followers at all in this moment. I believe he wanted to recorrect some wrong thinking that he had, these men had. But they were just as safe, they were just as secure when Jesus was awake as when he was asleep. Whatever situation these men found themselves in, the reality is Jesus was in the same situation. And it was bad. The storm was raging. The trained experts were timid and fearful. But that whole time, Jesus is sleeping. None of it's bothering him, which leads me to ask a question, why? Why and how is it that Jesus is able to just idly sleep when all of this is going on? Because here's what the disciples were scared of. The boat would capsize and they would drown. That their lives would be over and it would be done. But what Jesus understood is that even if that happened, because the other misinterpretation we can take from here is Jesus is just going to bail us out of whatever situation it is. But that's not the only thing we get from this text. Jesus understood that if that boat capsized and they went under, that his time on earth was not done. That God still had a plan in his life, and if need be, God would insert himself into this situation to find a way out from Jesus. I heard a pastor say it like this, the reason that Jesus was able to sleep when there was a storm, the reason he was able to sleep when he was in the boat, because he knew who was sitting on the throne up there. And he has a really high view above everything. He sees it all. Like God wasn't up in heaven going, oh no, a storm. What am I going to do? He saw his son. He saw the disciples. He sees every single one of you. He sees me when we are in the most precarious, challenging situations that we are finding ourselves in this life. You see, he knew what was happening, not just to Jesus, but to these men. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus also knew the great love that his father had for him. 
He knew who controlled the storm, the same God that held his life and his disciple lives and all of our lives in his hand. Because of his trust in who controlled all of that, in this moment we see just Jesus acting as if there is no fear because he's not scared. He's not timid, he's not bothered because he knows who is holding him. But here's the thing. Like I said, that doesn't mean God is going to bail us out. Because we look at the text and we think, yeah, I pray to Jesus, that's it, storm's over, and I'm good. But that's not the case. Actually, if you look at a follower of Jesus' life, there's moments we're going to experience resistance. But we don't like resistance all the time, but resistance is good for us. Like, just think about this physically. When you want to train your body or your mind, you put it through things that are challenging, that are hard, because it builds up a resistance. And as we build up resistance, we get better at handling certain things. And that's what's happening in the disciples' life. They are going through moments where they are experiencing resistance because God has a plan for them. He's got a plan for them to walk in certain things, and he knows that if they don't experience resistance, if they don't build up their tolerance, they will not be able to walk through what it is he has for them. And that truth that is just as applicable to us as it was to these men. Now, listen, there are going to be moments where God puts you in situations, and I'm telling you, he sees it, but he wants us to build up resistance because he has a plan. And the way we approach that, the way we go at it, will very much indicate the future things that we go through and are able to to do you see jesus did not come to take the heart away he came to help us navigate it and it's amazing you look at the disciples and you see very timid scared people in this section of the bible but then there comes some time later where jesus is gone he's ascended back to heaven and he's charged them you take this message you talk to the world about it you've got to be the disciples the people that are this church is going to grow through and as we see it one of my favorite accounts that just shows us the depth of their growth as they understood who God was and how much he loved them is found in the book of Acts and it sets up the religious leaders the people that hated Jesus the one that's put him on a cross don't like what these guys are doing Because they're proclaiming the exact same message. They're telling everybody about this Jesus and what he's done. And the great thing that can happen in your life. And they see their power and their authority is something that can be lessened. So they try to stop them. So they bring them in and they tell them what they are going to do to them if they don't stop. And we get to see how they respond. In Acts chapter 5 verses 40 and 41 it says this. When they, that's the religious leaders, had called the apostles in. They beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then the disciples left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer honor or dishonor for the name of Jesus. How do you go from being somebody who's scared in the boat when Jesus himself is sitting right next to you to somebody who's threatened with physical harm and abuse, and you take it? Not only did they take it, they received beatings, lashings, and whippings. And you know what they say? (laughs) Praise God. Like, I received abuse for the name of Jesus. There is a stark and dramatic difference from these guys from when they were in the boat to when they were in the prison cell. This happens to the apostle Paul, too. He's speaking. He's proclaiming the name of Jesus. They beat him. They throw him in jail. And scripture tells us we find him singing praises to God. And it's not, oh, Lord, how down is my soul. No, he is excited. He is lifting the name because he received harm to proclaim Jesus to the world. And there has to be something in between the bow in the jail cell that changed them. 
Because nobody just goes from here to there without a journey taking place. And I think there is one component, one big idea that if we can wrap our minds around will help us start a journey where we could be in the boat, but we end up in the jail cell reacting exactly the same as those disciples did in that moment. And it's this. So if you've gone away, come back to me because this is, this is the whole thought of the day. You, me, every single one of us, we will trust Jesus to the degree we know we are loved by him. I really got to get people to show up for both services because it's more helpful. Craig Mays was sitting over here, right down here in the front next to Bobby during the first service. And I thought about that and I saw him. This idea came to my mind. Listen, most of you know or a lot of you know Craig was here before me. He was interimly helping us in this position, and now he's leading our entire Kensington movement. I was so thankful for him, because when I came in, like, it's a big job, and I, I don't know everything to do, and I had somebody who had done it, who'd experienced more of life than me to help me, and what I came to understand is Craig had a deep love for the church in this place, and that love then came to me, and he saw me, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help Adam. I'm going to press into him. I'm going to be there for him. And then what I understood is that Craig loved me, which led me to trust him more. So when he gave me feedback about messages or my leadership, I knew he wasn't trying to hurt me. It was, te- it was to help me. So then I began to trust him more. And now if Craig Mace tells me to jump off a bridge, I will do it. And it's not because I'm foolish. It's because I know he sees something I don't. That there's harm coming for me and at the bottom of that place is maybe something that will get me out of it. And see, that's what happens in our relationship with God. That's what the disciples understood when they became or when they were able to come to the place to understand how deeply and how great and how wide God's love for them was. They were able to trust him. Whether they were in a wooden skiff in the worst situation possible or they were in a jail cell or there was somebody whipping them in the back. They knew that Jesus loved him. And there would be moments where he would put them in situations where he would not calm the wind and the waves. He would let them go, but they trusted him so much. They knew that there was a greater purpose and a cause for their life. So they sat in those moments because they weren't going anywhere until God was done with him. And if they had to receive lashings and whippings, they would walk through them because of what it was that Jesus did for them. And that was a great depth and love that, they, that he had for them. Um, it's found in John 15, 13. Probably no better example in all of scripture that makes this point. Jesus speaking and he says this. Greater love has no one than this. Than someone lays down his life for his friend. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. So when we sit up here and we say, Jesus loves you, I know that's hard because we talk about this kingdom of God and a lot of us, because of our earthly experience with kingdom, can't relate to that quote. Because most of the time, a king, a president, or somebody in authority looks at his subjects as somebody to be used Somebody to get from, somebody to receive a benefit from. But when Jesus came, he claimed the exact opposite. He's the king of the universe. He created all. He was there when it was spoken into existence, but he left all of that. He left the perfectness, the utopia that heaven was, and he came to this earth, and he didn't do it for his benefit. He became a pauper, a poor person. Blue collar doesn't begin to describe the things that Jesus had to go through, and he did that because he had a great love for every single one of us, and it's this idea that a kingdom flips upside down on his head, and the king comes to serve his subjects, not the other way around. But we don't experience love like that, and because we haven't seen that, it's very hard for us to understand this concept that somebody could let us go through harmful things and still love us. 
But what if life isn't all about comfort? What if it's about there's some resistance that builds upon us because we want to have a different kind of life? We did a funeral here yesterday for Sonia Maletta. Her sister passed away a couple of weeks ago, but she said something that was incredibly poignant. She said that my sister, I know that she's in heaven, but she missed out on the abundant life because there was a different way that she walked. And now she's rejoicing. But what I know, what Sonia knows, what Craig knows, is that he had a different idea and a different goal for her here and now. You see, we look at the Bible and we can think of it. It's all these thou shalt nots. It's all these things that God doesn't want us to do. And there's some truth to that because God created us as such. He knows what he doesn't want us to walk through. But it's more than that. He gives us these because he loves us. When I talk to my children, when I give them limitations, is it because I dislike them? Because I want to ruin their time? No. It's because they need limitations. And when we see this in scripture, that's what God is doing. He's giving us limitations because he loves us. And when we begin to understand the way that he loves us, the more we will understand what he is doing and what's inside of it or behind it all. And the only way to make us understand how much we are, or the only way that we know to trust Jesus is that when we come to understand how much we are loved by him, There's only one way I know that we can make that happen. But before I say this, I want to get to this. Brendan Manning, I've been all up in this book called Relentless Trust. Um, He says this. If you're a reader and you like to read it, you should grab this book. He says this. Jesus crucified is not merely a a heroic example to the church. He is the power and wisdom of God. His love capable of transforming our cowardly, distrustful hearts into hearts strong in the trust that they are loved. We do not do anything except let our unworthy, ungrateful selves be loved as we are. Trust happens. And you will trust Jesus to the degree that you know you are loved by him. Do you want to know how the disciples went from the boat to the jail cell with the differences in their life? By hanging out with Jesus. They got to know him. They didn't just know about him. They knew about his person. And in knowing his person, they came to the understanding that he loved them in a way that they had never experienced before. That no person, that no mother, that no father ever could do. And listen, like, I I gotta be real truthful. This is pretty easy for me because I had a great mom and dad. And I'm not sad about that, but I, I see some of you in this room and I know you haven't received that experience. You hear that somebody loves you and somebody cares for you and you can't relate to it all because you've never been shown that example. When God created the family unit, he created a unit to show this to the people. But because of the sin and the brokenness that exists inside of our world, not all of us have received that. So when we say that you love him and when, you, when he loves you, you begin to trust him, that's something that's missed upon you. But what Jesus' message to the disciples in this moment to us is, is when we begin to understand how much, how deeply he loves us, we will begin to trust him more, which helps us get from the boat to the jail cell and react the way they did in the ladder. You see, the disciples knew who was sitting on the throne, and in knowing that, it empowered them to walk in a new way in their life. And some of us need to walk in that for ourselves. You see, we need to start walking in this power. And the only way to do it is come to an understanding of how deeply Jesus loves us. I wasn't going to give anybody practical, tangible, something to do this week to walk in this. But on my way in, Jesus changed my heart. So if you've got a problem with it, you can take it up with him. 
In your Bible, in the New Testament, you will find a book called Corinthians. It's a letter that this man, Paul, wrote to a church who was struggling with some issues. And in that letter, he wrote something that we call the love passage. You will hear this spoken at weddings all the time, and it should be because it is fantastic. And in it, what he does is outlines what real love looks like. Specifically, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it starts in verse 4. And this is the homework for everybody. Make a mental note of that. Write it down. Text it to your your friend and just tell them, hey, this is for me. I want everybody else to go home and to read that because I'm going to tease you out with it a little bit. This is what he says. Paul saying, words of God through Paul's pen. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep a record of right and wrong. He goes on to detail all those things. But you know how I know Jesus wasn't frustrated, angry, and belittling to the disciples when they were fearful in the boat, even though he was right there? Because God himself said, this is what love is. And it's patient and it's kind. So if you've been living in such a way where fear has taken you, I'm telling you right now, the way Jesus looks at you is the exact same way he looked at those disciples in the boat. He was not angry. He was not frustrated. He's not going stupid. I've been with you, little faith. He says, I see your fear. I've seen what you've gone through. And what I've done is I've come to walk alongside of you to get you to the place where you can journey from the boat to the jail cell and end up living your life in that different way. So my charge is whether you've been a Christian for decades or maybe you're not even sure you believe in Jesus is to pick up a Bible, download the app on your phone, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and read about what love is. And then you ask God, is that real? Is that real? Because that is not my experience. I've been around people who have failed me, who have left me, who have hurt me and maligned me, and I don't believe it. But Adam said it, and I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to show up and show me if this is true. And I want to tell you, it might not happen in a moment. It might not happen immediately. But I believe there will come a point where God will come full circle and he will say, this is what I want you to understand. I love you. And when you come to the conclusion that I love you, you will begin to trust me and you will start to take a journey from being in the boat, slowly and methodically walking until the place where you could be like the men and women all throughout the Bible and church history that were in the jail cell. And life didn't seem to make sense. They didn't understand or, or maybe they did, but the storm was not being calmed, but they were okay. And they were okay because they knew the depth and the height and the greatness of Jesus' love for them. I've got one final thought. Um, (laughs) You ever wake up and anxiety is just hitting you like a ton of bricks? It's like, how can I sleep and wake up feeling this way? That was me on Monday. Felt like somebody had their belt wrapped around my throat and they were just pressing. And I I knew what this was. This week was just hard for me. I had a lot of work to do this week. I had a couple of messages to write and teach. We had, I had a wedding that I had to do. There was a, a funeral. I shouldn't say had to, a wedding that I got to do. But then there were big meetings. And so the time I normally did my work during the week wasn't available to me. And all of that pressure was just pushing down on my chest. And I was anxious. There was fear because I don't want to get up here and look like an idiot. I want to get up here and not proclaim the things that God has said to every one of us. But in that moment, God knew where I was and he knew exactly what I needed. So I kept on my routine because I didn't know what Jesus would do, but I did know he could do something. So I went to the gym and came back and I pulled out my phone and I go to read the Bible and I go to my Bible app and they always have a verse of the day. 
And I always look at it just to see, and I'm getting too old and this has happened to me too many times to believe that this stuff is just a bunch of consequences, or not a bunch of consequences, that this is a coincidence. But this is the verse that I came to. It's in the book of Zephaniah, a really obscure book of the Bible. A lot of you probably have never heard of it, and I just want to tell you that's okay. I've probably read it a few times, but this, just because I've gone through the Bible, but this verse has never stuck out to me in a way it did today. But I believe with everything inside of me that God placed this verse for that moment, for that time, for me, and this is what it says. The Lord your God is in your midst. I am right here with you, Adam. A mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you. How? By his love. You see, too often, again, we misinterpret that, that thing to say, hey, he's a mighty one who will save us. He's going to bail us out. He's going to take away the storm. He's going to take away the hardship. I just want you to understand, that's not what Jesus' motive is every time. Sure, I think he will do it sometime, but there's other moments. He has something more for you. He has something more and better. And it's not for his benefit. It's actually for ours. And he wants us to walk into it. So he's going to let us experience resistance because he wants us to grow. He wants us to get stronger spiritually because there's something inside of us that he knows is there. He's got a plan for your life, things that he wants every single one of you to walk through. But in order to get there, in order to get to the jail cell, we've got to go through some resistance and some hard times. So he's not always going to bail us out. But you know what he promises? I'll be with you. And if we get to the place where we understand how deep his love for us is, we will be okay in that journey because we know his love, perfect love can be trusted and he will walk through it with us. You see, you will trust Jesus to the degree that you know you are loved by him. And my hope and my prayer is that if you've heard that today, you'll leave this place whether you follow Jesus for your entire life or you're not even sure if he's real and you'll start to ask him, is that true? You'll get some time with him and you'll say, this is what Adam said. If it's real, I want to know because I believe if we do that, that Jesus will come through, that God will come through in a big way and we will start a journey where we might be in a boat but we'll end up in a jail cell beaten, maybe literally or maybe figuratively, praising God the whole time. Let's pray. Lord, I just think about my journey and such a putz I was. Um, what you've taken me from and to, and I know that there is such a further way that you want me to go. And, and I look around this room of people and I see so much potential, so much great things, because all of these people, black, white, girl, boy, it doesn't matter, are made in your image and you love them and you value them and you have something greater for every single one of us. And ultimately, it's even for our benefit. Teach us how to walk in this, Lord. Show us. I, I pray that we would all challenge you because I think this is a challenge. You say, I got that. I will come through in a big way and it could change not only our lives but the lives of those around us. And maybe in this place in Michigan more people would know the height, the depth, the breadth of your love because we decided to walk in it and we trusted you more. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a song now um, called No Fear. And as we sing it, if you wanna stand, stand. If you wanna sit and let the words wash over you, do it. But there's gonna be things, challenges, what God wants to do for you in this life. But something sticks out to me. It says this, it says, take heart. And the reason why is he is your defender. The king of the universe looks at every single one of you and he says, I'll go before you. I'll defend you. I might not bail you out, but I will be there to walk with you every step of the way. And I hope as we sing this, maybe this idea of how much he loves us will bring new, it'll have a new meaning and a new thought to us today. Let's sing together.
sing one more song today so if you're not standing already and you're able to I'm just going to invite you to stand and sing this last song with us
Sorry, I had to tell him, great job. Hey, listen, this is my one fear. Is we, we're here in this moment and we get it, but then we go out of here and we have this experience with God, but then we're left and we're like, what happened? You see, here's the thing. I think Jesus knew that as well. So when he set up his ministry of the men and women he would leave, they did it in community. They did it together because he knew there were moments where they would feel this, but it would leave. And during that time, we all need help. We need somebody who can help pull us back, who can help us reset and realign us in what we know to be true. And that happens in community. And we just kicked off our fault. You've heard people talk about groups. And and I just want to encourage you, stop at the hub. Like if you feel that prick, come on a Tuesday, come to an alpha course, come to Bible basics. And then one other thing, a lot of this happens when we rub hands with each other doing things. Like, so the McCrest table, you get to know people when you do that stuff. Relationships start and then you have some somebody who can walk along this journey with you. So I'd encourage you, stop at the hub. If you want to sign up to work on a Sunday or just help serve in McCrest, because in those moments, there are times where we find community, we find people who walk with us in the rest of that journey to get us from the boat to the jail cell. So wherever you are, I just hope that you understand a little bit more today of how deep Jesus loves you, because when we get that, we'll begin to trust him more. Thank you for being here. Our prayer team is going to be down in front. If you need somebody to pray for you about your fear or whatever it is, come down and let them do that to you because there's something amazing that happens when we put it into the ether. Whether we sing it or whether we pray it, it's like we look at the enemy and we say, not today, I'm going the other way. And we start that journey and that process of walking through it. Thank you all for being here with us. I hope you'll come back next week and see us. We're starting a new series about growing and what it looks like to walk in this faith. But until then, have a fantastic Sunday, and we will see you all of you next time. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.